Upstairs. Someone asked me why I was upstairs. Why am, why, am, why am I not downstairs with the kids? I said, well, I'm bringing the message. He goes, okay, I have a pass for today only. <laughs> okay, so I get to be up with you all today. I'm really excited about that. If you have never experienced loss or pain or tragedy or illness, raise your hand. Never happened. I don't see any hands because all of us have felt pain before, right? All of us have felt tragedy and grief, right? You've been going through Job. I don't get to be up here with you. I got in the afternoon, I watched the video at home when the uh, streaming actually worked. I've told Dave, I love the book of Job. Now you think, well, you talked about Pastor Michael. Not because I love the tragedy of it, but I love the sovereignty of God in the midst of that. Yesterday, I did a funeral for a friend of mine. I think nine years ago, I did the message uh, at her father's funeral. Her mom died two weeks ago, and she asked me if I would do that message. I said, sure. So I went out and we did this a little, just a, for the family gathering in the backyard. I was only there seconds before I could even bring the message. My heart broke because I felt their grief. There was one brother and two sisters that have just lost mom, who's been the stability of that family for so long. She's been in a nursing home. She lost one of her legs due to diabetes. July 20th, she turned, took a turn for the worse. And for the next six days, she was in excruciating pain. The family had to watch that. July 26th, an answer to prayer is God relieved her from the pain that she was suffering and took her home. We got to celebrate her life yesterday. But as in my celebrating this and listening to their stories, I couldn't help but to relate to the pain that they were suffering. The very first funeral I ever did was my father's. First time I ever preached. Five years later, I buried my son. Four years later after that, I buried my mom. It's really difficult for me to be sad for a believer when they die because they get to be with Jesus. But what I do relate with is the family that's left behind because they are feeling loss. They're feeling grief. They're feeling anguish and sorrow. And I ask God to give me a heart that understands what they're going through. Now, Pastor David has taken you through the book of Job. Today and next week, you get to review some of the things, the main important principles that God wants us to learn to the book of Job. No one raised your hand and said, you've been immune from that. Like Job, we have all suffered. My small group, we've been going through Job 
after, uh, after the service downstairs, one of the questions was asked, what is it about the story of Job that you wish God would have done differently? My first answer, I wish God would have said, Job, what you're going through, these are attacks of Satan. I have allowed him, limited what he's able to do, but I'm on your side. I wish God would have told him that because it would have spared him a lot of unnecessary questions. We all ask questions when we're going through the tragedy. Why? Why is this happening to me? Are those questions okay to ask? Absolutely. Does that mean God's going to give you an answer? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not in this life. I remember when my son died and my wife asked me why. I don't know. She said, you're supposed to be a theologian. Well, I can give you some answers, but I can't tell you why. When you get to heaven, you ask Jesus, but it's probably going to be the first 10,000 years, you're going to be too engulfed by worshiping him. But when you get to that point, if that question is still in your mind, ask him. Maybe he'll give you an answer. I just know that God loves you and that he is in control of every situation. This morning, we're going to review four of those principles that Pastor David's already talked about. One truth that stands out from Job is that God is fully aware of our lives. He sees us knows our actions, our conversations, even our thoughts. Let that sink in for a minute. God knows. Is that scary? Or does that give you relief? For me, it's more of, I don't have to hide anything from God. He knows it all. There's nothing that I can do that escapes his attention there's nothing about him that he does not already comprehend. That's an amazing truth. God is the creator of everything that exists. Worlds upon worlds, universes upon universes, galaxy upon galaxies, and more. Not only that, but God sustains them all that exist. Were God to remove himself from creation at any point, Everything we know would crumble and fade. Just like your TV, when it winks out as soon as you unplug the power cord. Yet in spite of everything that requires God's attention, he still has the capacity and the interest to follow the details of a single life, like Job, or like me, or like you. God even pointed Job out to saying, he told him nothing, noting, noting that he was blameless and upright, one who fears God and shuns evil. Job chapter 1, verse 8. Are they coming up? No, right, thank you. The principle I want you to hold on to, God loves his children. God knew Job intimately. He knows each of us intimately. There's nothing he doesn't already understand. Principle number two. Humanity needs 
a mediator. Job responded to Bildad's call to repent by re- regretting the distance he felt between, uh, between that Job felt between God and himself. But Job exalted God's majesty, his power, and righteousness. And then he asked, how can I dispute him? How can I find the words to argue with him? Job chapter 9, verse 14. Job longed to make his case before the Almighty. There was no way for him to approach and beg for mercy. Then toward the end of the chapter, of chapter 9, Job declares, He's not a mere mortal. God is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. Job chapter 9, verses 22 to 33. When you read that, what was the first thing you thought of? Okay. Who was the first person you thought of? For me, that was Jesus. Because the very thing that Job longed to have is fulfilled through Jesus. Now, you know that Pastor Michael likes to look at the words. So I looked up several different translations of that word mediate. The New American Standard says, He's not a man as I am that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. There is no umpire between us who may lay his hand on both. If you have an NIV, he says, he's not a man like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there was someone to arbitrate between us to lay his hand on both. Children's version, NIV, NIRV, says, God is not a man like me that I can't answer him. I can't take each, of, each other to court. I wish someone would settle the matter between us. Holman Christian Standard Bible says, He is not a man like me that I can answer him, that we cannot take each other to court. There is no one to judge between us or to lay his hand on both of us. And I was like, well, everybody uses a different word. So I pulled out my Hebrew Greek Bible. It's the word yakah, which means to correct, to decide, to justify, to plead for, to meditate, mediate, to advocate, or to umpire. Oh, oh, that explains it. Everybody just used a different meaning of the word. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, Paul wrote to the young pastor Timothy. He says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This is how now been, this now has been witnessed at a proper time. The writer of Hebrews, that we went through Hebrews this year, chapter 7, verse 25, jumped out to my mind. It says, therefore, he, God, oh, sorry, he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is praying for us. 
He comes before God and says, have you considered my servant Michael? Yes, I see how much he makes mistakes. But he asked Jesus to die for him, to be his savior. I have cleansed him in my blood. And now he stands before you justified and innocent of all things. Then we have the Apostle John. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, John writes, My dear children, he's writing to Christians, I write this to you so that you will not sin. In my Sunday school class this morning, we talked about we have, because we're dead to sin, we no longer have to give in to that because of what Jesus Christ has already done for us. We still do, but we also have that power of God in us to resist. John said, my dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, is that anybody here? Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Rusty. I appreciate the hand for agreeing with me. We do have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Everyone needs a mediator, someone that goes before us, before God, and explains to them, yes, you can see all the evil that they do, but you also see the blood of Jesus Christ, and they are now declared innocent. I love that. As I was going through these principles, I thought immediately what I would do in, uh, if I was down in worship their way with the children. I have an illustration to prove that. I would take a, a whiteboard and I'd ask the kids to name things they do wrong, sins in their life. And I would use an orange marker and I would write every one in there. And I would try and fill this whiteboard. I said, well, it started out clean, right? Just like we were, God intended us to be clean. And I have kids that will break down in, in tears when they're looking at this board. It's no longer clean. It's just covered. I said, ah, oh. but when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart, the Bible says his blood cleanses us from righteousness. Now, behind it, I have a red film. And I take that red film and I flip it over the, the whiteboard or the poster board. And red cancels out orange, if you didn't know that. It's an, it's an art trick. And it becomes clean. And I'll lift that back up and I said, boys and girls, when we ask Jesus, I'll take a black marker and I'll write in big letters, J-E-S-U-S, to be your Savior, His blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You and I need a mediator, that someone that will apply His blood to us, that will justify us before the Father. Principle number three, it is appropriate to express our emotions to God. Anybody here ever cry out to God when you were in pain? I have. Often. I mentioned my father and my son and my mother that have gone on before me. And yes, Pastor Michael hurt. I grieve for the loss of my family. And I can remember, especially with my son, God, I don't understand what's going on. I look so forward to his birth. I take comfort in knowing that he's with you and that someday I get to see him again. But I, like Job, 
he cried out. He said, I'm suffering. I'm hurting. Now, you went through Job. When you started reading, after Job lost all of his wealth, after he lost all of his children, Satan said, yeah, there's a hedge around him. That's the only reason he worships you and follows you. God said, okay. You can do anything you want, except you can't take his life. So there's a limit to how far God allows Satan to go on your own my life. So the boils that come on from the bottom of his heel, the top of his head, covering his body. He's in great agony and pain. What does he do with those boils? Takes a piece of pottery and scrapes him, trying to relieve that pressure. Now, that gets pretty gross when you think about the, 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 those pus coming out and stuff. He was just doing anything to find any relief. But did he curse God at that point? No. In the midst of his pain and grief, he was still able to look to the Father. So I don't understand what's going to me. He cried out to him and said, man, I wish I'd never even been born from the suffering he was going through. But he never brought accusation against God. And most of the conversation between Job's companions, his friends, Job addressed his responses to, his, to them. First to Eliphaz, then to Bilidad, and then to Sophar. Sometimes Job turned his attention and words directly to God. He expressed deep and bitter anguish. Let's look at Job chapter 14, verse 13. He said, if only you would hide me in the grave and conceal me until your anger has passed. If only you would set a time for me and remember me. Job was expressing his confusion in his frustration with everything that was happened to him, Job's feels as if God had destroyed his hope in the same way that rock slides destroy a mountain slope and water wears away a stone. Look at verses 18 and 19. But as a mountain erodes and crumbles, and as a rock is moved from its place, and as the waters wear the stones away and torrents wash away the soil, you destroy a person's hope. You ever been there and you thought you had no more hope? Yesterday in the funeral, I saw a brother, two sisters, their family, their children, Expressing their anguish, their pain, their suffering. But you know what? They all had hope. Hope because their mom had trusted Jesus Christ. They knew someday, they don't know when, no one's told them the time, that they get to be with mom again in heaven. Their hope wasn't, just, wasn't lost in God. Their hope of ever seeing her again in this life is no longer there. What as I, I read through these scriptures, in Job chapter 14, Job was open, he was honest, and he was pouring himself out to the Lord. He was believing and trusting that God had hurt him. We talked about 
the suffering and the sovereignty, he knew that God was in control. This is a pure form of prayer that we Christians should emulate when we feel hopeless or frustrated or angry about our conversations. We should cry out to God just as Job did. He has the power to comfort and to bring peace. When Paul wrote to the church in uh, Philippi, he says there is a peace that surpasses understanding. You can't even explain it. It's not a peace that the world gives. It's a peace that Jesus gives. A peace that lasts forever. The last principle I get to cover with you is there is value in repentance. Now, there are many churches that you never hear the word repentance in. And that's sad because it is a biblical principle. Eliphaz particularly insulted Job in chapter 22, labeled him as a man of great wickedness and endless sin. Job chapter 22, verse 5. He accused Job of stripping poor people of their clothes, withholding food from the hungry, refusing to help widows, and more. His goal was to push Job toward repentance. Eliphaz describes the benefits of coming to God to repent of our sin. Look at Job chapter 22, verse 23. He says, if you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove wickedness from your tent, he adds, surely then you will find delight in that Almighty. And he will lift your face up to God. You will pray to him and he will hear to you. Now Isaiah told us that our sin separates us from God to the point that he will not hear us. But John told us that if we sin, we confess our sins to God. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, to cleanse us of all unrighteous, to restore that relationship. In spite of Eliphaz's flaws as a communicator, as a comforter, he wouldn't be the first person I would seek to for comfort. Lifting up the benefits of repentance is truly biblical. Remember that Jesus began his ministry by proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Peter urged in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Repent, then turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The Bible is filled with people like David who honestly repented of their sin and were restored to a fellowship with God. Everybody in this room, we all are guilty of sin. When we make mistakes, come before God's throne to turn from that sin, to repent. One last scripture to look at is found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. As much as I like Job, I really like Hebrews. It's one of my favorite books. The writer says, let us approach God's throne with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I remember being in Houston, Texas when my son died. 
and my wife asked me questions for months, I thought, well, I'm the man of the house. I'm the priest of my family. I should be strong for her. People in church looked at me and said, you were one of our ministers, and you've gone through a lot. They looked to me for support and strength in the grief they were feeling. And it did not occur to me that I hadn't yet to open up my heart to God. Months had passed. A man said, Michael, you need to come with me. We went outside and sat in his car. And like Job's friends, who just sat with him for seven days a night, never said a word, just looked at the pain he was going through, and shared that grief, this man said, Michael, it's time you need to cry. You've been strong for everyone else. You need to cry out to God. I said, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm all right. He goes, would you quit trying to be strong for everyone? Just let it out. And when he pulled that cork on my heart, and I started out with just one tear coming down my cheek. Before long, I was weeping before the Lord, crying out to him, saying, God, I don't understand why Jordan died, but I know you love me, and I know that you care for me, and that you have a plan for me. Having someone to cry with me, not any religious platitudes, not words that can offer help, but just one second, Michael, let's cry. Boy, that brought relief to me. There's times I've been there with the families when the loved one has died. And I don't have any words to say that will ease their comfort. I might not have the right scripture verse that they need to hear. But like yesterday, I said, I'm supposed to be the pastor here. I'm not supposed to cry. And I'm sort of crying with them. Sometimes just having someone to to cry with you, to let you know they understand the pain that you're feeling, can give you a feeling of hope that you're not alone. Every year, Pastor David's on vacation. Every year, my vacation is going to Hills Alive. I've been there 16, 17 times. Uh, been there now 14 times in the same uh, uh, resort area that we stay in where we bring our camper. I have a great remembrance of Hills Life. I've so ministered to it. Um, Bob, this morning, sitting on the front and hearing you do say, sing these songs with this praise team. Man, this guy has looked ahead. The songs he picked go so well with the book of Job. Three years ago, I was sitting in my chair looking at the stage, listening to these groups there was a group called Unspoken that sang the song Reason. As I sat listening to these words, I instantly thought, these are the words that Job needed to hear. God spoke to my heart and said, I understood that we all need to hear it. So I'm going to read the lyrics, Bob. I'm not going to try and sing. I know I can't sing. As I do, prayerfully ask God to speak these words to you. This year's felt like four seasons of winter. You'd give anything to feel the sun. Always reaching, always climbing, always second-guessing the timing. But God has a plan, a purpose in this. You are his child, 
And don't you forget, he put this hunger in your heart. He put this fire in your soul. His love is the reason to keep on believing. When you feel like giving up, when you feel like giving in, his love is the reason to keep on believing. If we could pull back the curtains of heaven, we could see his hand on everything. Every hour, every minute, every second. He's always been in it. Don't let a shadow of a doubt take hold. Hold on to what you already know. He's the peace in this madness that you can't explain. He's the hope in the heartbreak. The rest is suffering. He's closer than the air that you breathe from the start to the end and into the in-between. Don't you dare doubt even for a minute what he started in you, he's going to finish. He put this hunger in your heart. He put this fire in your soul. His love is the reason to keep on believing. When you feel like giving up, when you feel like giving in, his love is the reason to keep on believing. Never give up on God's love for you. If you're feeling pain or suffering or loss of someone, tell God the emotions that you have. He already knows it, and he wants you to turn to him. Now, you've gone through 42 chapters of Job. Did you ever see a place where God explained to Job why he went through it? It's not there. He rebuked him for doubting, even for a moment, that God had given up on him. And when he did, he said, God, you're right. You're always there. You have been my anchor. In chapter 1, after losing all of his wealth, after losing all of his children, he said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God wants you and me to be able to cry out to God, to be, express our emotions, but also to hang on to the hope we have in him that he's right there beside me. Let me pray. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, no one looking around. Father, everyone in this room, whether on the floor or in the balcony, whether they're listening via the internet, God, we've all experienced pain and suffering and loss, sometimes even tragedy in our lives. God, none of us are immune from that, but you've given us an example through Job. He was blameless and upright. He chose to follow you. And even when he suffered, he learned that he put his hope in the rock and God the Almighty. Father, I pray for all of us that we would cling to you. When we're suffering, cry out to you, share our heart with you, that you might bring us comfort and peace. Father, I tell you, I love you, and I thank you for loving us. Though we fail you often, you've given us a way to be restored to you. You've given us Jesus as our umpire, as our advocate as our go-between, as the one who will bring our matters to you. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. It's in your precious, 
wonderful name that we pray. Amen. Bob.